When a man takes God's word as the word of man, he will fail. Because if you take God's word for granted, you will surely be stranded in life. But when you receive the word of God as God's word, it makes a God out of you. It makes a star out of you. It makes a good success out of you. When you are well discipled in a solid local church and you apply yourself to it, you will automatically shine in the secular. Because the principles of the kingdom of God are principles that make greatness out of a man. There are some levels of maturity you will never stumble on except by service. Because there are some things you will never know about God except you are in the works, serving the Lord. The reason why many Christians have failed in life because they try the things of God. You don't try the things of God. You live by them. The word of God is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Be blessed today as God's servant. Reverend Peter Ayo Alabi brings you God's word. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Many Christians are useless to God. There are many useless Christians to the Father. It's unfortunate. I'm just telling you. You must choose not to be a useless Christian. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Don't be useless in the hand of the Lord. You know, the Lord said something to me a few weeks ago. He said, you know, he said, there are many places where people gather and call it church. He said, but unfortunately, in most of those places, the larger percentage of them are useless to me. He said, they are of no use to me. And I want them to be useful. You say, as for God, God wants you to be useful. That's why he saved you. Second Timothy 1, nine, who had saved us, who had called us, you see, saved us and called us, rather, uh, by his own, with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his purpose. You see that. And it's great, which he ordained in Christ before the world began. So God called you for a purpose. So you are not only saved, you are also called. Do you see that? Many people only think of their salvation. Notice he said, who had saved us and called us with what? A holy calling. Or I can just say unholy. So just use the English like that. Unholy calling. Do you see that? And it's not according to our works. But it's according to his purpose and his grace. God saved us. By his grace. So listen, we are accepted as the work, by the work of grace. Accepted in the beloved. Ephesians 1, 6. Did you see? To the praise of the glory of his grace where he has made us accepted in the beloved. So, the acceptance we have with God is on the merit of grace. You didn't earn it. But commendation is end. You don't earn acceptance with God, but you earn commendation. God will not commend you for what you did not do. But he accepts you without your works. For by grace are you saved through faith. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, 9 and 10. Did you see? Not of works lest any man should boast. Did you see that? He says you were saved by grace. Did you see that? Not by your works. Did you see? So and he says the gift of God. So he tells you clearly there that you didn't work for salvation. However, he didn't stop there. Verse 10, Ephesians 2, he now says... For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works with God before ordained that we should walk in them. So notice now, he earlier tells us, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is this gift of God. Do you see not of works, lest any man should boast. So we are saved not by our works. But he now says that we have been ordained to do good works. So our works didn't save us, but we were saved to do some works. Are you getting that now? So the salvation was not earned. We've been accepted because God did the works of salvation in Christ. However, we are commended based on our works. Behold, he said, I come 
I come very quickly and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. So he's not going to give to every man just because he's saved. There is no reward for salvation. Reward is for work done. There is no reward for salvation. Salvation is a gift already. So the reward is going to be given to you according to your works. The Bible calls them good works. Good works. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you are having all sufficiency may abound to every good work. So there are good works to be done. Second Corinthians 9, 8. There are good works to be done. Tell your neighbor, say there are good works to be done. Say louder. Say there are good works to be done. Did you see? So you got to wake up to that. When a believer is not doing those good works, he becomes useless to heaven. He's of no use to heaven. Many people have a funny idea of Christianity. They think Christianity is just for you to get saved and sit down in church. No. You are not saved to sit. You are saved to serve. You are not saved to sit. You are saved to serve. I found something very interesting about the biological brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ in the persons of James and Jude. Though they were his biological brothers, you'd be amazed at the way they introduced themselves in their epistles. James chapter 1 verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen now, that's his, his brother, his blood brother. James was Jesus' blood brother. Are you getting what I'm saying? Yes, he was his blood brother. Do you understand? Mary gave birth to James. Mary gave birth to Jude. The same Mary carried Jesus in the womb. James is talking about Jesus, his brother. He calls him, I, he calls himself, I am his servant. He didn't say, James, the brother of the Lord Jesus, or Jesus, my bro. <laughs> I'm sure Jesus will have answered from here, this, he would have done I am the Lord, in case you forgot. But look, I said, James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus. He didn't say, you know, he didn't say, I only serve God. God is my pastor. You know the funny idea many people have today. They say, God, God is my pastor. Say, I'm a servant of God. I serve no man. No. The way to serve God is to serve man. You serve God by serving men. By serving men. By serving men. Go to Jude 1.1 1, 1 as well. You see how Jude also introduced it. These are his brothers in the flesh. Jude 1.1. 1, 1, put it on the screen. Do you have Jude as it disappeared from your Bible? Jude, the servant of who now? Of Jesus Christ. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. These are his brothers. But look at their introduction. He said, I am the servant of Jesus Christ. He said. And these are his brothers. And now, of course, we are God's children. We are his sons. As many as are led by the Spirit. Romans 8, 14. He said, they are the sons of God. That word led there means as many as are brought forth by the Spirit of God. The Greek word is ago. A-G-O. The way you pronounce ago in English. Well, there's a Greek word there. It means to bring forth. That is, as many as were birthed by him. You know, in John 1, he said he came to his own, his own received him not. See, John 1, 11. And then he said, as many as received him to them, gave he power, verse 12, to become the sons of God, who were born not of flesh, nor of the will of man, nor of blood. Did you see, but of God. You know, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus in John 3, 6, said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. That's what it means in Romans 8, 14, when he says, as many as are led. That is, those who are brought forth. You see, when you when you came into this world through your mother, she brought you forth. That's that's what that word led, ago means. So you can say, I am I was led or I am led by my mother. This is what I'm saying now. So he's not really talking about divine guidance. 
It's talking about the origin of birth. Do you understand that? It's talking about the origin of birth. Your, your, the origin of your physical birth is your parents. Did you see that? Your dad and your mom. They came together. But the origin of the new birth in Christ is the Spirit of God. Is the agency of the Holy Ghost. James 1.18 Of his own will begat he us by the word of truth. Of his own will. Of his own will. Go back to John 1 and let's look at John 1.13. You notice the difference now. Did you see? Between John 1.13 and John and James 1.18. Which were born, notice now, those who received him. He said, which were born, not of blood. Did you see? Not of, nor of the will of the flesh. Nor of the will of man. But of God. And I was but of the will of God. But of the will of God. Say, I'm born of the will of God. Say it again. Say, I'm born of the will of God. Hallelujah. Now, you see that in James 1.18. We saw right now. Did you see that? He says... Of his own will begat he us by the word of truth. When you receive the gospel, that is the message of the gospel, which is the death, the burial, the, and the resurrection and ascension of Christ in the right hand of the Father. Notice now those facts, that is the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, they are the fulcrum of the gospel, but that's not all there is to the gospel. That would be a great mistake to say, well, that's, that's all there is to the gospel. No. The gospel also includes deliverance from sickness. Did you see that? And all the works of the enemy. You see, basically the gospel is simply good news of God delivering man. Man needs deliverance from many things. But the most important thing man needs deliverance from is sin. Sin is the universal problem of mankind. It's the universal problem of mankind. You, there are people who are not born again but they are rich. Doesn't mean they have no problems. They still have a fundamental problem. And the fundamental problem is what? They are in sin. They are in sin. Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, do you see, because of the great love wherewith he had loved us, when we were dead in trespasses, did you see that? He quickened us together. In verse 1 of that Ephesians 2, he said, you are the quickened, who were dead in trespasses. Did you see that? All of humanity, dead and buried, not in coffins, in sin. Did you see that? Until the man now hears the gospel and receives Jesus, then he comes alive. Doesn't matter how rich you are, doesn't matter how educated you are, without Jesus you are dead. And on your way to a, to an eternal death. Are you hear what I'm saying? Without Jesus, a man is spiritually dead. If he never hears the gospel and accepts Jesus, he's heading for eternal death. There's three kinds of death. There's physical death, there's spiritual death, there's eternal death. Eternal death is the one that a man who dies without receiving Jesus is going to taste. Unfortunately, it doesn't have to because Jesus tasted that already. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6, 23. But the gift of God is eternal life. You see, the death he refers to in Romans 6, 23 is eternal death. That's the reason why the alternative to it is eternal life. No man has tasted that yet except Jesus Christ. He came back from that dead. That's why, he can, that's why a man who has risen from that eternal death can never die again. <laughs> And that's why Jesus was speaking in John 6. He said, you see, those who come to me, he said, they will never die. They will never die. They will never die. Now, you know, of course, he's not talking about physical death because people who are listening to him those days, they are dead already physically. Physical death is when the body is separated from the spirit of man. If Jesus dies and he's coming, you're going to live long enough. And at some point, you have to leave. You have to leave this world. Jesus dies and he's coming, 100, 120, you leave. 
120 looks long, but it's not so long. Compared to eternity. If eternity is too much to compare it with. Compared to how long people lived in the beginning. They lived up to 800, 900. 969 years, Methuselah. Do you see what I'm saying now? If some of those men look back today and see that men die at 80, die at even 120, they're going to look and say, what's wrong with them? To them, 120 will look like, what's that? It, look, it will look like a minute. Because this man lived for 900 plus years. Are you seeing this? You see that James chapter 6, when God said to, you know, to Noah, my spirit shall no longer strive with man, his days shall be 120. Do you see? Now that 120 years was how long it took for Noah to keep preaching, finish the ark, and for men to enter it. But they never entered. And actually from that time, the age range of man began to decline. Did you see that? Because Noah himself lived longer than that. The age range of man began to decline. Began to decline. Some say, oh, but, but Psalm 90 tells us, Psalm 90, I believe, verse 12, tells us that our days should be made to be three score and ten, that's seventy. And if by reason of strength they be four score, that's eighty. That's not talking to everybody. It's Moses speaking to Israel. And why did their days get, get shot into seventy or eighty? Their iniquity again. If you read the old Psalm 90, you see there. It was by reason of their iniquity. So it means there is a way a man will live his life that his life will be shortened. And there's a way a man will live his life. Did you see that? That, and look at that. You see all those things they, uh, Moses wrote there. Do you see that? From verse 9. Did you see? He said, they become a, like a tale that is told. It's because of their iniquity. There are things a man does, it shortens his life. Oh, but there are things a man does that lengthens his days. That adds years to your life. And because of the evil of man, even the world itself becomes, as you know, gradually has become more and more inhabitable for the righteous. <laughs> because of the iniquity of man. That even God himself looked in Genesis 6 and he repented that he made man. No, because it says all his deeds were evil continually. Continually. Did you see that? Continually. Continually. But there is a way for you to prolong your days. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? So that, that physical death, you see, is when the spirit and the body are separated. Spiritual death is when a man's spirit is not in union with God. That's spiritual death. And that's the state of death that Ephesians 2.1 speaks of. He said, you were dead. You are the quickened. Who were dead? Did you see? In your trespasses and sin. So notice again that death is always the consequence of sin. Whether it's physical, spiritual, or eternal. Because you notice that it was by one man sin entered into the world, Romans 5.12, and death by sin. So wherever there is sin, death is going to follow. So what that tells you is that righteousness will keep you alive. Come on now. Oh, is somebody hearing what I'm saying? So if there's a threat of death over your life, don't be afraid. Stay with God. Come on now. I said stay with God. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Glory to God. And so, if you stay with God, union with God is life. Separation from God is death. On all realms. On all realms. In the midst of the decadence in the world, Moses still lived up to 120 years with everything intact. 
His physical strength not abated. His eyesight didn't go dim. At 120. And so that you would think it's only Moses. It wasn't only him. So that you would think it was only Moses. Caleb experienced the same thing at 85 years old. He said, God has kept me alive and made me as strong today as I was 45 years ago. Notice he didn't say, he didn't say by my diet only. He said, God, God, God. Because if you eat well, somebody can still kill you by shooting you. Diet cannot keep you from bullets. So I'm not saying you should eat well. It's part of it. But ultimately it's God that keeps people. Caleb said, he has kept me alive. God has kept me alive, Caleb said. You look at Moses, and Moses was 120 years. You see, Joshua 14, your head is correct. Whoever is on that thing, your head is very correct. You see, as yet as I, I, I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me, as my strength was then, even so is my strength now, for war, both to go out and to come in. So it's not an 85-year-old man that is saying that, you know, you know, in the days of yore, when we used to be strong. No, that would never, strength would not be a past tense in my life. Say to yourself, strength will never be a past tense in my life. Strength will be present, continuous, perpetual for me. Yeah. We get stronger. We get stronger, stronger and stronger. The older we get, the stronger we get. I'll put a confession in my mouth yesterday morning, very early in the morning, just getting ready to go out. Never made that kind of confession before. Say, every part of my body, all my organs are renewed. Hallelujah. My heart is renewed. My, my kidneys are renewed. My liver is renewed. My bones are renewed. Hallelujah. Stronger than ever before. Glory to God. You got to understand that. So there is a physical death and there is a spiritual death which is separation from God. When a man's spirit is separated from God because the man is essentially a spirit. Man is a spirit. He has a soul, lives in the body. So you understand when the spirit, which is the real you, is not in union with God, that spirit is dead. Do you understand that? It means that person is not born again. He's not in union with God. And that's the reason why you see when a man gets saved, First Corinthians 6, 17 says that he's joined to the Lord, is one spirit with him. He didn't say he's one flesh with him. He says he's one spirit with him because it is two spirits coming together to make one. When a man marries his wife, he says in Genesis 2.24, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. Not one spirit, one flesh. You can't be one spirit with your wife. It's one flesh. That's the best you can get. Of course, with time, if you interact well, and you have a very healthy marriage, you and your wife, your souls will become one. Most of the time, my mom and I sit down, we're just, sometimes we're just, maybe she's reading, I'm reading. Next thing, I just want to say something, and she's like, that's exactly what I wanted to say just now. Sometimes we will say it together. It happens a lot. Sometimes we're playing with our kids. They are saying something. I want to respond to them. I will respond at the same time saying the same thing. That's by reason of fellowship. Fellowship. There's nothing mysterious about that. It's fellowship. It's fellowship. I hear what I'm saying now. Yeah, it's fellowship. You say many people are funny. They will say, you know, back Look, calm down. You are not Osher. Your wife is not the way. Are you hear what I'm saying? So people will say, you know, ah, the two of you are looking alike. You are looking at light. Listen, you marry, most times you are attracted to people who have a symmetrical similarity with your face. But usually it happens unconsciously. So it is as you now begin to live together and people see you together that it will now occur to people. So there is, there is no way just living with somebody now makes your face to begin to look at like their own. What's the science to that? You know, the way people experience this in Africa is very, people heaven is, 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 is amazed. Are you hear what I'm saying? That? And that's the same thing with your souls coming together. It's by reason of fellowship. 
The same thing with God too. If you are in union with God, but you cannot think like God if you don't fellowship with God. Yeah. Spiritual growth is not by osmosis. If you are not fellowship with God, you are not going to grow. It's not that somebody who goes to a university, no admission, no lectures, no matriculation number, and he hangs around the university for four years. You will not come out with the BSc. BSc is not awarded for, for being present. Uh, it is awarded for engagement. That you engage in classes, engage in tests, projects. Then afterwards, and I haven't met all the requirements, they award you, Jumbu, BSc. You heard what I'm saying? Uh-huh. They don't say, oh, that's why there are people you met when you went to university. He was a gate man. He doesn't have a BSc till now. He's been there for 25 years. He's around, but he's not engaged. So you can be born again 30 years, but you are not growing. Because you have the life, but you have not engaged that life. You engage that life primarily by fellowship. You fellowship with the Lord. You fellowship with the Lord. You engage that life also by serving the Lord. By serving the Lord. There are some levels of maturity you will never stumble on. Except by service. Because there are some things you will never know about God. Except you are in the, in the works. Serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. It was as they were serving God that the disciples, the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ began to see signs and wonders. Because the power of God is unleashed in that commandment. Go. Go. All the power of God, you will see it in manifestation when you obey that instruction. Go ye. Mark 16, 15. It was the word preach the gospel to every creature. 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. 17 says, and these signs shall follow them that believe. Now, your believing is first of all believing as someone who has received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But you shouldn't stop there. You must also believe the instruction. Don't just believe to receive salvation. Believe the instruction of God. How do you show you believe God's instruction? Obey it. Obey it. How can you call yourself a believer who doesn't preach to, to lost souls? That means you are not believing the master. You believe the Lord. Second Corinthians 20, 20, and so shall you be what? Established. Believe the Lord your God. He is Lord. He doesn't make suggestions. He commands. Not everybody can say like James and Jude and call themselves servants of Jesus Christ. So there are many who claim to be sons of God. And yes, they are if they are born again. But don't be a useless son of God. A son of God must also be a servant of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Every son of God must also be a servant of Christ. Must also be a servant of Christ. To be a servant of Christ means I am serving him. Now we're growing up. You sing the song when we go on crusades there. I'm serving a God of miracles. I know. Yes, I know. I'm serving. And most those years, it was on crusade ground. We used to sing those songs. I started preaching on crusade at age 11. Alright? So I started out with an evangelistic favor from when I was a little boy. We planted a church in Agidingi when I was just 15. Alright? Myself and we had a group we called Young Evangelists. Whether that church died or survived or had swallowed it, I don't know where it is today. <laughs> but I know it's not there again. <laughs> we started it in one small shop like that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. We just sing that song on Crusade Ground. I'm serving a God of miracles. I know. Yes, I know. But notice what we are saying there. We are serving Him. We are serving Him. Serving Him. Serving Him. So when you get saved, you must serve. Oh, you got to serve God. And it's a great thing to serve the Lord. 
There is no greater honor in life than to serve Jesus. No greater honor. No greater honor whatsoever. When God calls a man and puts him in the office of the ministry, that is the greatest honor ever. Some of you need to understand the value of the call of God. Now there are those who God calls to be in politics. In Romans 13, he also calls them ministers of God. If God called them to it. It's in Romans 13. Just as not everybody in the ministry is not is called of God, in the same way, not everybody in politics is sent by God. Not everybody in politics is sent by God. So there are believers that God will send into the political arena as ministers. It's in Romans 13. Put it on the screen for me. Do you see that? As ministers of God. That's why I say, let all souls be subject to the higher powers. For there be no powers except that which is ordained of God from verse 1. Do you see that? So there are people like that. There are people like that. But I believe people who are going to get into the political arena as ministers of God, you see, they must be people who have been groomed in the church to maturity. Because it's a very dangerous terrain. Not somebody who will become a governor and then he will forget that there's Jesus Christ. And he will start using jazz. And carrying sacrifice to the T-junction at night. 2 a.m. But a believer who will remain a believer even in the political arena. He must have matured enough for that. You know, when they should go all week. And there was a man who was playing the guitar the whole week. He is the accountant general of Oshun State. All through the week he was there in the choir playing guitar. All through the week. There was a man who sat behind me all through. He's a commissioner. I know him. And he's a pastor in the church. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? So it's possible that God can use you in the political arena. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because God is going to make you very great. But you see, your life cannot be great if it is not serving God's purpose. Because in the kingdom of God, greatness is service. Notice I didn't say you get great by serving. I say greatness itself is the service. Service is not a step to greatness. You don't, you don't begin to serve so that you can become great. No, in the kingdom of God, you are great because you are serving God. So there is no greatness without serving the Lord. There is no greatness. No matter what people say of you, no matter how many, you know, accolades you receive, if you are not serving Jesus, you are not great. Because the Lord Jesus said it, he that will be great amongst you, let him be the master of all. I mean, the servant of all rather. The servant of all. Serving all. And you hear what I'm saying? Serving all, serving all, and it begins from the local church. The local church is God's factory where He produces great men and women. And as I tell you, anybody who goes through the normal process of training, growth, development in a solid local church like this is automatically a leader anywhere in the secular. I can tell you that. I can tell you that. Anyone. Telling you, anyone, if you apply yourself well to the process of discipleship in a local church, sound local church like this one, you automatically become a leader anywhere. Anywhere. Anywhere, I can tell you that. I heard somebody say, saying to me, a commissioner, and he was telling me, he said that everything you taught me when I was in Ife is what I'm using as a commissioner today. Everything. There's nothing new anywhere under the sun. Mom was there when he was saying, there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing, nothing. And the things he's talking about that I taught them, I only did that class, I did it for I think 11 months. Every Friday night in Ife then, 2011. Every Friday night. Sometimes I would drive to campus to bring them. It was in my sitting room. He was there too. Yeah. 
In my sitting room, they will sit down like this and I will be teaching them. Just teaching them leadership. Teaching them leadership from the Bible. Teaching them leadership from the Bible. Teaching them leadership from the Bible. Yeah. He says, sir, I still have the notes. I have it. I have the notes. Said, I have the notes. I have the notes. If you are well discipled in a local church, you will automatically be a leader in the secular. We have many people in the Lagos church today who are big boys, I mean, see, at senior level management in their different places of work. It's one of them, their company is a global company, it's a multinational. And they reached out to us and said, sir, please, we would like to come and do our Thanksgiving, our anniversary Thanksgiving of our, of our company in the church. You know why? Because one of our leaders in the church, a minister in the church, is one of their senior staff there. He has represented God's kingdom well. Two of his colleagues are members of our church now. They followed him to church. Because what he is embodying at work is world class. They can't match it. That his boss has to say, we'll follow you to your church. We are doing an anniversary of this company. It is only your church. I'm, all those other people are Christians too. Sorry, they can't follow them to their own church. But they follow him to our own church. That makes me feel like a proud pastor. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. That's why I say Matthew 5, 17. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly father. Did you see that? And glorify your father which is in heaven. So you understand when you are well discipled in a solid local church and you apply yourself to it, you will automatically shine in the secular. Because the principles of the kingdom of God are principles that make greatness out of a man. They make greatness out of any man, I tell you. Any man. The kingdom of God is not a place for frivolities and laziness and slothfulness and flippancy. No. No. I'll just share a few things with you this morning. You know, we're looking at a series... Succeeding with good success. I started preaching it since. You can excel in your career and still be a minister of the gospel. Yes, sir. How many of those testimonies I can bless you with? You can excel at work and still be a minister. Firebrand for God. Because you see, your career is not your calling. You know? It's not your ministry. The ministry we have received in Jesus Christ is the ministry of preaching the gospel of Christ. Oh. Don't join us who are talking about seven mountains. There's no seven mountains anywhere in the Bible. It's such a terrible, terrible, you know, disastrous wrestling of scriptures. You rest the scripture, resting of scriptures. W R E S T I N G. Peter spoke of that in Second Peter chapter three. They rest the scripture to their own destruction. You will never find anything like seven mountains of influence in the Bible. It's not there. They twist Micah chapter two and Isaiah chapter two. The mountain of the Lord's house shall be exalted above all the mountains, and the people shall flow into it. The mountain of the Lord's house is his body, his church, not any mountain of economy, education, entertainment, politics. Nonsense. People want to conquer a wall that Jesus is coming to destroy and establish his own government. People are trying to set up government for the Lord. You can't set up God's government. God sets up his own government by itself. All these things will perish. With the use of it. What that tells is that use it for as long as it lasts. You are not sent to preserve the systems of the world. Neither are you even sent to conquer it. Conquer what? Acts 1.8. Before he mentioned what he said in Acts 1.8. They had asked him, will you at this time, Lord, restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said it's not given to you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has appointed. He said, but one thing is important. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall take seven mountains. 
What shall you do? You shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That was his answer. When they asked him, are you going to take over the government? Are you going to take over the mountain of politics? Are you going to take... He said, no, that's not what I'm here. And he, I'm sure he was surprised that they, they still hadn't gotten the point at that time. Because it was right before their eyes that people wanted to make him king. And he refused. That I didn't come here to take over any, any politics, any whatever. That's not why he came. In other words, the kingdom of God is not trying to take over the kingdoms of men. The kingdom of God comes and establishes itself. And when the kingdom is established, every other kingdom will fade away. So imagine you now want to take a kingdom that will fade. And like I told you in the first place, if you look at all those scriptures that people are jumping on, and it was from American guy who started this thing many years ago in the 70s. I'm amazed when I see some evil churches in Nigeria today who are preaching this nonsense. Many of them have not even studied to find out who even started it. These are things that are foreign to some generations of Christians. And they will look and say, she can't share it. I don't mind again, I'm not You know, Paul, he Paul will write to people like this, like the Galatians, Galatians, they're all foolish, foolish Galatians. All foolish, whatever their church is. How, how, I mean, what bewitched you? If I, if you see it in the message, I just say, have you taken leave of your senses? That since when did you create your own agenda for the gospel of Jesus Christ? I don't you understand it? Even if all Christians become, if Christians take all the political roles in Nigeria today, Okay, so then what? So you will turn the country to a Christian country. Or you begin to force people to receive Jesus. And you think they will be saved? No. Salvation is not by force, it's by choice. You say, well, when we come, when we take over those uh, places, we begin to, you know, make policies that make, uh, you know, a policy. Yeah, yeah, we understand policies can have an influence and impact, but let me tell you, we are not depending on that. Because the gospel has never advanced on ease. It has advanced by force. Yes, when they persecuted the church in the book of Acts, they grew stronger. Yes, so all this idea of, so we can put policies that will make it easier for the gospel. Oga, oga, oga. God is not depending on anybody's policy to advance his cause. The kingdom of God does not advance by discussion. It advances by destruction of anything that stands in his way. You stand in the world of gospel, it will destroy you. To destroy you. There was a man in this nation wanted to be president. Eh, almost that's 19 years ago. Next year will make it 20 years ago. He had forgotten that he made some statements in the late 70s, 80s. And he said they should, if I, he tried, I heard in the history that he tried to carry Bibles and perish Bible, you know, drown them in the sea. And that's why his hope 1993 had to be dashed. How dare you? How dare you think you want to stop the gospel? Many people have reason to stop the gospel. They are all dead. The gospel is still alive. <laughs> no matter how many they are. Are you hear what I'm saying? So our ministry and our mission is to preach Christ in season and out of season through persecutions and through ease. Whatever we preach. That's why they will put Paul in prison and they will be writing epistles from there. He wasn't lobbying for any government policy. Government policy, my foot. Wasn't lobbying for that. From the prison with his feet in stocks and his hands in chains, he was dictating epistles. And send them out there and say, written by Paul from the Philippian jail cell. Send it to all the churches. Are you not reading it today? It wasn't written from ease. From a point of ease. It was written under persecution. Heavy persecution. Heavy persecution. He's not given to you only to believe, but to also suffer for Christ. 
So all these Elenka Christians that cannot face any challenge in life. That's why you look at those churches that preach those things. They have really livered Christians. Any little thing like this, you say, oh, I'm under persecution. You know what they call persecution there? He doesn't find somebody to marry her. <laughs> call it persecution. Rubbish. They say, because I'm not married now, they are looking at you somewhere in my father's house. I'm persecuted. You are not persecuted. You are in need. You have lack. <laughs> that one is not persecution. It's lack. You don't have a job after three years of graduation. That's not persecution, my friend. You have a need. Sit down with the word of God. Learn faith well. And release your faith. You'll get a job. It's why in the, in the church, like, the anointing to get jobs is very easy here. It doesn't matter where you are. Whether in Lagos, Ibadan, Shobo, wherever. Even if you are in the wilderness, you will get a job. So anyone in need of job, receive your jobs today. I told you I didn't come here alone. I walk, angels walk with me. So they are distributing your jobs now. Anyone doing a business and it looks as if the business is so slow. I command, let that business pick up. I said, let it pick up now. Let it pick up. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And so you go to work. You go to work. Joshua 1, 8, this book of the Lord shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate there in day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So there's good success, and that implies there can be bad success. I remember last Sunday, as mom was laying foundation for this teaching in the Lagos church, one of the powerful things she said is that there can be no good success without process. Anything that lacks process is not good success. It's bad success because it's coming back to haunt you. If you jump process, you will eventually find yourself back on the floor where you started. Everything that is good in God comes through process. I'll say it again. Anything that is from God will go through process. There is a process to the things of God. So if it's going to be good success, there's a process to it. And notice you see right there in Joshua 1, 8. This book of the Lord shall not depart out of thy mouth, for therein thou shalt meditate day and night. Day and night means all the time. He said, then as you do that, that is as you are diligent in doing that consistently, you will get to a point where you will begin to observe. You don't start observing to make your way prosperous the first day you start meditating. No. It's going to happen along the way. Along the way. It's the reason why many Christians have failed in life because... They, they try the things of God. You don't try the things of God. You live by them. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So he says, I tried it. It didn't work. Look at you. There's no such thing as I tried God's word and God's word didn't work. It's the word of God that tried you. You failed, not the word. And your failure is not being consistent. That's the failure there. That you thought it was just something you would do. It's not a magic wand. That you just wave. When you have problems, you just wave it over your situation and then you expect to get a bail out. That's not the way the things of God work. You've got to live by the word. Live by the word. Live by the word. Meditation has to be a constant part of your life. Psalm 1, verse 1 to 3. He says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of your God, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor seated in the seat of the scornful. He said, But he meditates in the law of the Lord day and night. You see, and he delights in it. Verse 3 says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And he says, His leaves also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth, he shall prosper. That's me he's talking about. But notice there he says he also meditates day and night. Day and night is another way of saying all the time. As a lifestyle. It's not something you do once in a while. It's something you do all the time. So if you are going to have good success, there are some vital things you must do all the time. Many years ago I, I read and listened to a man, Dr. Mike Murdoch. And he said something powerful. He said successful people do as a habit what failures do once in a while. 
It is what stands out successful people. They do as a habit, as a lifestyle, what others do once in a while. And that's why they are successful, others are failures. So if you look at your life today and there are certain things you ought to be doing habitually, but you are doing them once in a while, that's the reason why you have the kind of results you have. So you've got to change. There are things you must do all the time. There are things you must do all the time. You must meditate on the word of God all the time. All the time. Every day of your life you must meditate on God's word. You know, everything we've been doing in the last 40 days. That means today is the 40th day of the 40 days of transformation. And that's what people don't realize. It doesn't take so long. It doesn't take so long. Now, everything we've been doing all these 40 days, there are things that should become a system, a structure inside you. That should become a part of your life. Pray every day, 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes at night. Read a chapter of the Bible. Meditate on one verse. Give your seed. You see, make your faith declarations. Those are things that should be a part of your life daily. Daily. Someone said that, can I give daily? Oh yes, you can. Because you can always have daily. You can have daily. You can have daily. I tell you, you can be a sower every day. To the work of God, to people around you. If you are a sower, you will always have seed. You don't get seed to become a sower. No. You are a sower, then seed will come. You say, how do I become a sower? Just do it consistently, then you become one. Just do it consistently. Those are things God doesn't gamble with. If you don't prove yourself to be one, God doesn't see you as one. Prove yourself to be a sower. Prove yourself to be a sower. When I woke up this morning, the first thing I heard in the Lord, from the Lord is give. That's the first thing I did. Right on bed like this. That's the first thing I did. Because that was the last thing I heard last night. And the Lord said to me, obey that instruction. Obey it now. A very big instruction. He said, obey that instruction right now. Obey it right now. Woke up immediately. I began to make my faith declaration. I mean, I did the giving. Before I woke mom up, I just did the giving immediately. It was when I was making the confession. The Lord said, yeah, tap your wife. Wake up. So I tell her what you have done. And then begin to declare together. And then we made the declaration. God said, obey. Obey that instruction right now. Obey right now. And he said to me, he said, you are a giver. You are a sower. I know you. That's why I can come to you with these kind of instructions. And the Lord reminded me, he said, the seed I want you to sow, I gave it to you yesterday. Give it. I said, wow, that's true. You gave me, sir. I acknowledge it, sir. Glory to God. It's not every money that enters your hand that you must give away. One of the, I mean, that you must spend, rather. Every, see, listen to me. One of the ways you know you are a sower is that you can hear instruction about what is in your hand. If you don't hear God, if you want to be a sower, huh, learn to ask God, what do you want me to do with this money that just came? If you decide independent of God on how you use your money, you are not a sower, sir. Sowers don't decide what they do with their own money. Because a sower is a steward, not an owner. God is the owner. It's one of the major things you must learn if you are going to be prosperous financially is understand you are not the owner, you are a steward. The earth is the Lord's, not yours. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth is the Lord, not yours. You don't own the world. God owns it. Including the money in your bank account. God is the owner, sir. So, the steward mentality, the source mentality is, Father, what do you want us to do with this money now? Now, I don't mean all the time you even say it out like that, but there is a consciousness in your heart. You're waiting on the Lord before you touch that money. What do I do with it? When you want to do, do something with the money, you're checking yourself. Is this the right thing to do with this money? That was make you a And when you're like that, God will always send money to you to give and to also enjoy. 
First Timothy 6.17, charge those who are rich in this world not to be high-minded, not to trust in their certain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things. How many things? All things. Someone say, I have all things to enjoy. Say one more time. Say, I have all things to enjoy. Say it again. Say, I have all things to enjoy. I enjoy this life to the glory of God. Say it again. Say, I enjoy this life to the glory of God. So there are three things that if a man does, he will certainly fail. So it's good you know them so you don't fail. Number one is for a man to take the word of God as the word of man. If you take God's word as a man's word, you will fail. First Thessalonians 2.13 He said, For this cause thank we God for you because when ye received the word of God from us, you did not receive it as the word of men, but as it is indeed or in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh in you that believe. When a man takes God's word as a man of, word of man, you see, he will fail. Because if you take God's word for granted, you will surely be stranded in life. But that's not going to be you in Jesus. John 10, 35. If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. He called them gods to whom the word of God came. When the word of God comes to you and you take it as the word of man, you will remain a mere man. And you will remain in the realm of mere man if you do that. But when you receive the word of God as God's word, it makes a god out of you. It makes a star out of you. It makes a good success out of you. It makes a prosperous person out of you. You must be diligent with the word of God. How does a man get diligent with God's word? First of all, like we said, take it as God's word. Number two, study it. When you take notes in church, it is a mark of seriousness. That the word of God is important to you. But beyond just taking the notes, when you get back home, use it. You see, I said something last Sunday in the church in Lagos. The word of God does not work from the pages of your Bible. The word of God does not work from the pages of your notes. The word of God works from your mouth. There are two places where the word of God lives. Your mouth and your heart. But what says in Romans 10, 8, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Even the, the apostle Paul said, we preach which what? Our mouth. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For it is with the heart that man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth, verse 10, Confession is made unto salvation. So the word must be your heart. Jesus speaking after he had commanded the fig tree to dry up and it dried up from the roots. Mark eleven twenty three and 24. He said, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt where? In his heart. But shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he said. And whatsoever things you desire when you pray. Verse 24. Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. So notice, when Jesus explains how faith works as well, he shows us the word must be where? In your mouth and in your heart. That you will not doubt in your heart what you are saying with your mouth. There's a Greek word, homologio. It means to say the same thing in two places. To say the same thing in two places. So your heart must be saying it just as your mouth is saying it. Your heart must be saying it just as your mouth is saying it. Your heart must be saying it just as your mouth is saying it. Romans 10, 6, the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in thine heart. So it means there are things you say in your heart. When you read Isaiah 14, that was the iniquity of Satan. 
He said in his heart, I will be like a most high. Where did he say? In his heart. God heard what was in his heart. So God reckons with what your heart is saying. It is life that reckons with what your mouth is saying. As far as God is concerned, the moment you start saying it in your heart, God already reckons with it. But if you want to see it happen physically, then you use your mouth to shoot that God. So there are many things people have said in their heart. Between them and God is a reality. But in life, it is not a reality because their mouth hasn't said it. When your mouth says it, you execute the contemplations of your heart. And because your heart believes it, heaven backs it up. Now, if you say with your mouth what your heart doesn't believe, there's no backing for it. It becomes mere wish. Mere intentions. That's not the way God programmed you to live. You were designed to live a life of power. When I say it, it will happen the way I said it. Are you hear what I'm saying now? Yes, when I woke up yesterday morning, the Lord said to me, by the time you get to the Yoshoko church tomorrow, he said there will be an anointing to open deaf ears. So between myself and God, I was already saying it in my heart. When I got there, I opened my mouth and I said it. The deaf ear had to open. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? He works in all realms. Whether it's your personal need for ministry, for anything. You must have the same thing being said in your heart and in your mouth. If you start living this way, I'm telling you now, you will see a lot of changes in your life. There is no mountain that great that cannot be moved by the words of your mouth. Which your heart also believes. There's no mountain that great. That's why Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, whosoever, he didn't say only Jews, he said whosoever. He didn't say only apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Whosoever. Whosoever means you soever. Me soever. And you know what it tells you that the faith of God is released from your mouth. And that when it is released, it can change the entire scenery of your life. Imagine, imagine if a mountain is here before, was here before, and then we move it. You will know something changed. There will be space that was not there before. So therefore, as you begin to speak, I declare over your life, let there be changes. Let there be transformation. Let things get better. Let weakness give way for strength. Let lack give way for abundance. Let there be increase. Now, if you believe this, you have to say it after me. Say, increase is here. Abundance is here. Say it again. Say, increase is here. Abundance is here. I partake. I take part. And I take my part. Say it again. Say, increase is here. Abundance is here. Say, I partake. I take part. I take my part. Do you believe it? Shout it loud. Amen. You know, I'll tell you one thing. Whenever you hear the word of God like this, act on it. Be a doer of the word. James 1, 21 and 22. Wherefore, laying aside all filthiness and all superfluity of naughtiness, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. And in verse 22, he says, and be ye doers of the word. And not hearers only deceiving your own selves. So you got to do it. Start meditating. Start practicing the word. Be of service in the house. Serve God. We have a solid system of discipleship in this church. If you have been coming and you have not yet joined anything in the church, start with Sunday school. It will groom you, get you grounded, so that you are not tossed to and fro. The purpose, one of the major purpose of maturity is to deliver you from deception. One of the major purpose of maturity is to deliver you from deception. If you won't grow, then you will be deceived. If you will not grow, you are bound to be a, a captive and victim of deception. So grow for your own sake. 
So that one foolish prophet will not come one from one place and tell you that uh, God has anointed his penis to impregnate women who are looking for the fruit of the womb. I'm telling you now, these are things that are happening. Yeah. I don't wave a foolish handkerchief over your head and begin to deceive you and tell you nonsense. But if you don't grow, you'll be tossed to and fro, Ephesians 4.14. So that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, by every wind of doctrine, and by the slight of men, by which the lie went to deceive. Not me forever. That will never be me. I tell you, one of the greatest heritage I can give to you is that what I just told you, your spiritual growth. I caught this one fresh and raw as a teenager. I have seen many waves of deception. Like when I was on the campus as a student. Plenty waves of deception. None of it bothered me. Because those who know their God, Daniel 11, 32, shall be strong and they shall do exploit. I knew my left from my right. Early in life, from a child, that was not the Holy Scriptures, which I able to make the wise unto salvation, which is through faith in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 3, 15. I knew it from when I was a little child. So when they were saying all kinds of stupid things, some people came to Africa that those days, and they said, Jesus is going to appear there. And they put a chair on the, on the stage. And I said, we're going to eat I told them then. They thought I was, they thought I was just being uh, stubborn. I said, Yawiri, only okay. <laughs> The person who organized the meeting today is a false prophet. He's not wearing Benin. He's a real established false prophet. Kong false prophet. Very serious one. I tell you. You know, one of the young men who, to the glory of God, God has called with a genuine call. Who fell into his trap for years. He's now, he has submitted to me now as a son. And to the glory of God, God has helped us to shake off all the nonsense that they put on his life. And boy told me how this man will come and just, all he comes to do in the name of being a spiritual father is to tell him to raise funds. And he has milked the entire church. People have run away from the church because of a, a dangerous spiritual father. Spiritual father or Spiritual fatherhood is not to milk God's people. A father is supposed to leave inheritance for his children. Yeah. Are you hear what I'm saying now? Yeah. yeah. Like I told you, those people there on the campus, I'm not surprised today that the man is a false prophet. Because he started from where we were in school. Telling people now that they, their angel needs, they should go and be planting some purple tree so that their angel can mature. You see the madness that people have done? So it's not new. There's nothing you see today that is new. These are things that happened almost 20 years ago. When we were in school, you know you. Okay, they should go and be planting. Yeah? I knew people who were in the same fellowship with me who went to plant. I know one particularly went to plant. He said they should be eating granite. When you eat granite, your angel will have more muscle. <laughs> Madness. How I many of those folks didn't know? And I'm not trying to put them down, but the truth is that looking back today, and most of the time when I think about it, I just realize that the major difference is the fact that, hey, I've been growing spiritually. And going to church is not equal to spiritual growth. If you don't apply yourself, like I told you, it's not just being present, marking attendance, it's getting in, engaged, getting involved, engaging the word, engaging the ministry of the word, engaging in prayer, engaging in the activities. By next month, by the grace of God, prayer works will resume. Yeah. Don't run away from it. Those are things that will stretch you. Six hours of prayer, you will not die. Yeah. Mom will tell you, Mom joined this ministry, joined my ministry from day one. She was the first set of people that responded to my invitation to come to church. The first service I ever had as a pastor, there were eight. She was one of the eight. Out of all the eight, she's the only one here. Uh-huh. So I'm telling you what I, I know what I'm talking about. Eight of them. I remember, of course, from that age, it all began to grow. And the first time I took them to camp, Camp Young, Ede. As we're driving from Oshoku yesterday, I just looked at the junction that brought it to Ede, and I smiled. I said, ah, it's been a long time, Ede. One day I will bring some people here again. 
to come and show them heaven. And I took all of them there many years ago to go and pray. And I said, you are going to pray six hours. Two times within three days. Eh? He said, you are going to kill us. I said, if you die, I will raise you back to life. I said, so don't use that to scare me. With fasting. They were shocked. I grabbed the microphone. I led the prayer myself. I was praying with energy. Ask mom. Six hours non-stop. Energetically, I'm praying. I was not taught to pray Jelenka. I can't pray Jelenka. I don't know how to do it. It's impossible. I don't know how. It's very difficult for me to pray Jelenka. I don't know how to do it. I'm not a gentleman in prayer. Ah, ministers are wearing suit, though. Ah. I hear what I'm saying. Ah, but you ministry in here. Suit is just so that we come for service. Looking good. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? You pray in tongues like this, your mouth is going in a different direction. No fine boy. As well as your fine boy prayer, if you are not here, who? <laughs> not me, sir. Are <laughs> you hear what I'm saying now? It's without God that will take you from being afraid of demons to become a master over demons. Because the first time I ever encountered a demon, I was just following them up and down to play keyboard. It was in Lupeju. I'll never forget one representative of God. And I was there on the keyboard. And I crossed my leg. As one of my older brothers was casting out devils. And the demon from one lady looked in my direction and said, Who do you think you are? I, cuckoo, I quickly put my leg down. And in my mind, I said, But tell you what I you see what I'm doing? I'm not going to do it. I'm not Oh my God. They move from that to casting out devils. Casting out devils. What's the difference between those two points? Growth. It's growth. You grow. You grow. If you don't grow, you'll be afraid. You'll be fearful in life. You gotta grow. The first beneficiary of your spiritual growth is you. Is you. And that's the same reason, that's the same way the first person to suffer from your lack of growth is still you. If you grow, you grow for yourself, beloved. Before you now become useful to others. You must grow for your own sake. You must grow for your own sake. So you grow, number one, to deliver you from deception. You grow, number two, to deliver you from fear. Number three, you grow to be useful. Because the purpose of growth is service. So that you can serve God. For the work of the ministry. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. He gave some to the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints. For the edifying of the body of Christ. And then for the work of the ministry. So when you grow, then you are able to do ministry. There are too many unfit believers. And as I told you, when a person is unfit as a believer, it's useless to God. God can't use an unfit person. God loves his children too much. He can't expose you to die. So God needs you fit all the time. And it doesn't matter where you are in your journey of spiritual growth. Just continue from where you are. So don't put yourself on a guilt trip. Just continue from where you are. Say, oh, I've not prayed for a long time. Just start praying now. So don't, don't waste time, you know, being guilty and say, oh Lord. Yeah, people start saying very funny things. Oh Lord, and you start committing sin now. Say, oh Lord, who am I? What am I? You are committing sin again. I am nothing in your eyes, oh God. I'm just an earthworm. Eh? Prayerless me. God said, that's not what I call you. You are started telling lie now. Eh? Eh? That doesn't count before the Lord. What counts before the Lord is true repentance. True repentance means to turn around from the wrong path and face the right direction now. And then begin to move there. So you've not been praying for a long time. Start today. Start with 15 minutes. See, that's all you can do. And then tomorrow again, do 15 minutes. Say, so what am I going to pray? If you are not here filled with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking with tongues, wait after the service, they lay hands on you, get you filled immediately. 
No, your pastor, the day he got born again, I was teaching. Alright, few pre-degree students. And he came in there, he thought it was a tutorial class. Because he was in front of the auditorium we're using then. The auditorium I'm talking about is a Paco house, where they used to watch football. Very small building like that. He didn't look like church, so I didn't blame him for mistaking him for a tutorial center. And I sat in front of those young men, pre-dikes, and he came there, sat down. I didn't send him away. Those days I won't send you away if you come into my meeting. Just know you'll be arrested by whatever anointing is blowing. And he couldn't get up. When, even when, he, as a Muslim, he knew it was no longer a tutorial class, but he couldn't get up. By the time the class was done, I said, who are you? So he, I said, are you born again? He said, no. So you're a Muslim. I led him to Christ. Took him to the back of the building. Morota Hall. Got him filled with the Holy Ghost immediately. Started speaking with tongues. No time to waste. Sina is the pastor. So if you have not yet baptized with the Holy Ghost, because prayer becomes a struggle without baptism in the Spirit. Becomes a struggle. When we come to pray six hours, prayer works. That is what we do for the most of the time. We pray in the Spirit a lot. Because when you pray in the Holy Ghost, you will be saying things beyond your brain. Yes, sir. So when I speak in other tongues or pray in other tongues, my spirit prayer. Or the Holy Ghost by my spirit prayer. That's the right, that's the originals. The Holy Spirit by my spirit prays when I pray in the Holy Ghost. When I pray in tongues. So if you are not a few, you need to get that settled. Alright, before you leave service today. So start with 15 minutes. And um, you say, oh well, you know, uh, you know, I'm not sure about this baptism in the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. Well, pray the Pauline prayers then. Go to Ephesians 1. And then you pray from verse 16 to 20, 22. And just pray it verbatim. And what you do is you put yourself in all those verses there. Personalize it and pray it over yourself. As a matter of fact, if you will pray the Pauline prayers every day for the next six months, believe me, you will not be the same person anymore. I've done it. It works all the time. That Egan did it. He not only did it for himself, he did it for himself first, saw the way he changed his life, he did it for a whole year. And then he began to pray over his congregation. I prayed it over our congregation when I heard that from Brother Egan in 2011. I prayed for our congregation the whole year he was living in my house. For the whole year, every day, praying the Pauline prayers. Not only Ephesians 1, I prayed Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Colossians 1, those three prayers. Prayed it for the whole congregation. At that point, our ministry took a new level. Completely. I'll never forget it. So if you will pray it over yourself every day, you can start your prayer life. Kick start or jump start your prayer life with uh, uh, Pauline prayers. Start with Ephesians 1, like I said. And just pray it every day. You know, it's so easy for beginners. Because it's already there, verbatim. Just pray it. I think we should even make that. Because now mom has a book written for kids, Pauline prayers. So I believe strongly that Pauline prayers are very good for beginners. Just pray. A person who doesn't know what to say in prayer, just go and pray the Pauline prayer. You have been given what to say. And not just any words. These are eternal life words that will birth growth and that will cause your heart to be flooded with light. It will make your understanding become fruitful. You will begin to see the Bible in a new way. I experienced that just as I heard from Brother Egan that he also experienced it. It looked as though I was just reading a new Bible entirely. And it's the same word. But it had meaning now. Because you see, when you enter into a room that is dark, you don't know what is what. You just stumble over everything. But when the lights come on, understanding comes. Then you can differentiate things. This is that, that is that, that is in that place, that shouldn't be there, it should be here. Then everything begins to come alive inside of you. This message was brought to you from the Heritage of Faith Church. Our vision is raising stronger believers 
for more impactful resources, visit our website at www.hlfng.org. God bless you.